is and will remain illegal. We were putting out warrants because they didn't pay their fines. Putting forward legislation that holds offenders accountable. Violate the Constitution. Limits liberty and security. The Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada decision granting Canadians the rights that she was denied. This is Justice Radio, Acumen Law Corporation's podcast. personal prejudice out of a thing like this. Wherever you run into it, prejudice always obscures the truth. I don't really know what the truth is. I don't suppose anybody will ever really know. Nine of us now seem to feel that the defendant is innocent. But we're just gambling on probabilities. We may be wrong. We may be trying to let a guilty man go free. I don't know. Nobody really can. But we have a reasonable doubt, and that's something that's very valuable in our system. No jury can declare a man guilty unless it's sure. The film Twelve Angry Men was released in 1957. It was nominated for three Oscars that year, for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Although it was overlooked by the Academy, over the past six decades the movie has gone on to cement its status as a full-blown classic. It currently sits number five on the Internet Movie Database's top-rated movies of all time and has a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. For those who haven't seen it, the drama takes place entirely in one room. The 12 angry men in the title are the members of a jury. They are deliberating over a murder trial. In their hands, they hold the fate of a kid from the slums who faces the death penalty if they find him guilty. At the start of the film, the jury takes a vote, and 11 of them believe he is guilty. So there was one holdout. This one man has one thing stopping him from going with the tide of opinion. A reasonable doubt. The other jurors plead with him to change his mind so they can return a unanimous guilty verdict. But the holdout sticks to his principles, and over the course of the film, spoiler alert here, he manages to change their minds. They end up finding him not guilty, 12 to 0. The 11 jurors at the start of the film are lacking in knowledge about a principle that is central to the Canadian justice system, just as it is to many justice systems around the world. Standard of proof. What's worrying is that the principle is still poorly understood by members of the public and even inside courtrooms. It's common for lawyers and judges to have deliberations about what's the standard of proof here, right in the middle of proceedings. In short, the burden of proof is the obligation one party has to prove are the essential elements of a case. For some reason, many people have difficulty distinguishing between burden of proof and standard of proof. In the simplest terms, the burden of proof is the obligation of a litigant to prove something. The standard of proof is the degree to which something must be proven. You've probably heard the phrase beyond a reasonable doubt before in courtroom dramas, cop shows, or on the news. We call this the golden thread it weaves its way throughout the criminal justice system. Beyond a reasonable doubt is a standard of proof, the highest standard you can get because it's protecting liberty. 
In 12 Angry Men, the standard of proof the jury has to reach in order to find the accused guilty is beyond a reasonable doubt. Even if the overwhelming majority of evidence pointed to him doing it, that one nagging doubt, based on a reason that just can't be explained, is enough to counter it all. But not all legal matters have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt in order to be successful, of course. It's not just inside criminal courts where you have to apply a standard of proof test throughout the justice system. Tribunals, civil proceedings, and even governmental bodies like the Insurance Corporation of BC have to abide by standard of proof requirements. If a police officer pulls you over and they suspect you of something like drunk driving or possession of drugs, they have to reach certain standards of proof in order to proceed against you. For instance, in BC, the police have to know for a fact that a driver was a driver before they can proceed with an immediate roadside prohibition investigation. So the standard of proof is much higher and in itself something of an anomaly. However, they only have to have a reasonable suspicion that the driver has alcohol in their body before they can compel them to blow into a roadside breathalyzer, which in law we call an approved screening device or ASD. Just a reasonable suspicion that the driver has alcohol in their body. That's a very low standard of proof. Now, to get someone to take an evidentiary breathalyzer test for a criminal case, the officer needs to have reasonable grounds, what they call probable cause in the United States, essentially the same thing. So they have to come to a conclusion that it was more likely than not that the driver was impaired by alcohol or over the legal limit of 0.08. It may all sound confusing, but it, it gets more confusing yet. If you're in an accident and ICBC has to make a ruling on an insurance claim, the standard of proof they apply can get even lower. ICBC often makes preliminary decisions on coverage based on the slightest suspicion of alcohol having been a contributing factor. For instance, there's a, an ongoing case in the news recently uh, that's due to be back in court again. In that case, a driver named Angela Seeley, who crashed her car, uh, is suing ICBC for refusing to honor her insurance policy. ICBC has taken the position that she was impaired at the time of the collision, and ICBC alleges she lied by saying she had nothing to drink before it happened. So, Miss Seeley agrees that her driving was affected, leading up to the crash, uh, but she says it was affected for a different reason. She says it was not affected by alcohol, but by texting. Now, Miss Seeley wasn't given a breathalyzer test after the crash, so that's a big problem for ICBC. They refused to pay her out, basically because they suspected she'd been drinking. So, what's the standard of proof that's supposed to be applied there? She's taken ICBC to small claims court for refusing to honor her insurance, which potentially means ICBC will have to prove Miss Seeley was impaired in order to win the case, which is going to be tricky without any results from a breathalyzer. ICBC has also been refused permission to ask for oral testimony from the ambulance crew that attended the crash to see if she appeared intoxicated to them. Now, small claims court is a civil court, so the standard of proof will be on a balance of probabilities. So a judge will have to hear both sides and decide which one is more convincing, 50% plus one. So this case will be interesting to watch. 
In any event, what's confusing and sometimes unfair is that the standard of proof, the degree to which something must be proven, varies depending on the crime or infraction. So the standard of proof for an immediate roadside prohibition, an IRP, is different from impaired driving, or what some people call a DUI charge. IRPs require a much lower standard of proof than criminal DUIs. IRPs have been classified as administrative matters. This means they're treated in the same manner as matters in civil court. So IRPs are dealt with on a balance of probability standard. The easiest visual analogy or metaphor is the scales of justice. If you can tip the scales in your favor, you succeed in your case. That means if you get an IRP and you want to challenge it, you face an uphill battle. At the hearing, an adjudicator from Road Safety BC essentially starts with their finger on the scale, and it's up to you to prove why the IRP should be revoked. There is no beyond a reasonable doubt standard, I can tell you, with an IRP. Criminal DUIs, on the other hand, are criminal charges. As such, they're dealt with in criminal court, where the Crown has to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, the interesting thing here is that if you have a history of drunk driving, including a drunk driving conviction or an IRP, the police are instructed to arrest you, conduct a criminal investigation, if you blow fail on an ASD. But if it's the first time you've been dealt with for drunk driving, you'll likely be issued an IRP right there at the roadside without any criminal charge whatsoever. We're not making this up. People with a history of drunk driving have it better than first-timers here in BC. They're entitled to greater protection by our justice system in terms of the standard of proof. We think it's a major flaw in the IRP scheme, and the police we talk to even seem to hate it. In 12 Angry Men, one man stands up for the principle of certainty in order to prevent a miscarriage of justice. Here in BC, it seems like certainty is a luxury afforded to some defendants and not all. And you really need to ask yourself, is that fair? Thank you for listening to Justice Radio Acumen Law Corporation's podcast. My name is Paul Doroshenko. If you'd like to find me, you can track us down through our websites, vancouvercriminallaw.com, acumenlaw.ca.